This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, have you set up your Christmas tree yet? We can help you with that. The Christmas tree edition of Game Showy Trivia. Test your knowledge of Christmas trees, hear some of our own Christmas tree traditions, and be ready to have those interesting nuggets of info to share at your Christmas party. Jonathan Berkshire Miller, Director of Foreign Affairs and National Security at McDonald-Lurie Institute, joins us here on the Shift to help us understand the current state of the world with a focus on China, Gaza, and the war in Ukraine as well. This and so much more, including Christmas tree stories on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. We just thought, partly inspired by this beautiful picture of a Christmas tree I received on text message, that maybe <laughs> we could we could do game showy based on Christmas trees. That giggle in the background is Kelsey Campbell. Hey, Kelsey! Before we get oh, started, hey. hi. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I was blasted a little bit of Christmas music. Yeah. While listening to the shift just last night. See? Decorating. Were you decorating? Yeah. Okay. My Christmas tree. Is yes. that not the picture you're talking about? My Christmas That's tree That's the picture? picture. Yes, your picture. Absolutely it is. And I I'm love it. I'm putting all the pieces together for us and others. Yes. Beautiful Thank thing. Thank you. That's very good. <laughs> I'm glad you can understand what's going on in my head because I can't at times. But the reason why Kelsey is here is for her to get her butt kicked. <laughs> It's time for Game Showy, Canada's favorite game show on the radio. Two contestants battle it out for pride and points that really don't matter, but we do it anyway. Here's your host of Game Showy, Ryan Ho-Ho-Ho-Donnell. Oh, no, no, no. Not Santa O'Donnell yet. Then you'll hear the tiny wheel with the Christmas Santa Claus, you know, visit. But no, this is just a nice christmas E round of Game show E. I'm excited, Game show-y! Yay. That's how you can make something-ish. Just add an E at the end of it. Today, <laughs> we are celebrating the Christmas tree because this is traditionally the weekend when most people will set Christmas trees up. And if you don't celebrate Christmas, it's the weekend where you will notice the giant Christmas trees in your neighbor's windows. So it's it's the perfect time. It's the magical time of year. It's It's very true. So here's how this all works. If you're new here or you need a refresher, our contestants, Kelsey Campbell, Shane Hewitt, are going to battle it out for tree toppers the magical things that you put on top of your christmas tree i'm trying to get a death star one for this year um to go on top of mine but traditionally it's been an angel on top of my christmas tree for as long as i've been alive so it can be whatever you want it to be whatever but you're gonna get a tree topper now so one tree topper is an easy question a three is hard if you get the question right you will hear this biggest day of the year deserves the biggest tree of the year no. You want a big nice. tree, you can win a big tree. If you get it wrong, you'll hear this. I am no tree. <laughs> Don't make what? Treebeard angry. From Lord of the Rings, Treebeard. Classic line. Pippin says, I think the tree's talking. And he goes, Tree? I am not a tree. So that's <laughs> it. If you don't want the tree, then don't make Treebeard angry. Now we got three categories to choose from. Noted. I will admit. It's basically one category. Our our categories are decorations, trees, 
and more trees because it's a little difficult to come up with different ways to talk about the same thing. But trust me, there are some really interesting comp- uh, questions in here that have a very personal touch, I will add. We also have a very special question. The text line special. It's for the shift heads only. Get your phones ready, friends. 877-399-9898. This question is hidden in the show, and one lucky contestant will stumble across it and could win two tree toppers if you, my friends, are right. When we find the text line special, you will hear this. Hey, Griswold. Where do you think you're going to put a tree that big? Bend over and I'll show you. That's for that's for sure. <laughs> God, he loves that movie. Okay, here we go. Here is the question, my friends. For two tree toppers, what is another name for an ugly Christmas tree? Is it excuse me, Bruce the Spruce, Tree Beard, a Pokey Pine, or a Charlie Brown tree? Again, another name for an ugly Christmas tree. A Charlie Brown tree, Bruce the Spruce, tree beard, or a pokey pine. Text in your answers now. Get them in. We'll see if uh, you can have one of these contestants take the win. I'm going to write that down. The contestant with the most points wins the game. You've got to get the answers right and don't be stumped. (laughs) Uh, uh, Ryan? uh, Thanks. Um, Who won last week? (laughs) <laughs> is it bad that we don't remember do you know kelsey always remembers she knows she has like it marked on her wall oh can i don't know i just i'm still hanging on to the fact that i beat ryan at his own ryan showy, James showy? Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 you have to let that go i let it go kelsey it's time for you to let it go okay i've let it go but that doesn't help me it didn't free up any brain space to remember what happened last week <laughs> okay i'm gonna flip oh, yeah. a coin uh right. heads or tails is it a real coin or a fake tune? It's a real coin. It's oh, a dollar. No, Shane I'm, has her tails. I'm pretty sure Shane... No, no. Shane definitely won. No, okay. now I'm thinking I definitely won. You <laughs> I Somebody no please way. pick a flip, heads flip or tails so good. I can flip start. It. Yeah, flip your fake toonie. <laughs> okay, who's heads or tails? <laughs> oh, I'll go heads. <laughs> heads. Okay. Oh, there it goes. It's on the floor. It's tails. It's oh, tails. Boy. There you go. Kelsey's up first. I get to go first. Okay. You do. I'm good. Okay, for the three tree toppers, mm-hmm. I'm okay. These categories: decorations, <laughs> tree, and more tree. Yes, uh, <laughs> trust me, it's worth okay. it. Okay, I will go with three tree toppers for trees. Trees, Kelsey. What is the average time it takes? For a Christmas tree to grow, how long does it take for a Christmas tree to be grown and wow. put in your house? That's an amazing is it question. A year, three years, seven years, or twenty years? Hmm. Well, it's definitely not one year. I feel like I learned this from a tris- Christmas tree farmer last year, and I should know this. Uh, and I'm, I've been driving past this place that's growing Christmas trees. I'm like, well, those aren't going to be ready this year and certainly not next year. Mm-hmm. Do you steal one? Did I steal one? No. Cause they don't, they're not, they're not there yet. They're just little right. pups. You'll steal what one you, when they're ooh, there. <laughs> do you have a question? Yeah. What do you call baby Christmas trees? Oh, that's a good uh, Crim- Crimbus trees. 
I don't know. Is that what they, is that a real word or did you just make that no. up? No. No, that's from a vine. <laughs> <laughs> Baby Christmas tree. Okay, I I just talked myself out of three years, which I thought it was I think it is seven years looking seven at seven years. The growth. Seven years. Yeah. Final answer. Correct. Yes, it is seven years. Biggest day of the year deserves the biggest tree of the year. Be pretty big after seven years. It can take up to fifteen years to grow a tree to six to seven feet. Sometimes as little as four, but the average is seven years to get a tree ready to go. There's a lot of sapling about it. Sapling, that's more appropriate. Sapling, Mm -hmm. cute. That's cute. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So you go kill your seven-year-old tree. Feel good about it. Mm -hmm. How many have you murdered? (laughs) Oh, I haven't had a real tree ever, like since I was a kid. Oh, okay, Darren. I thought I had him there. All right, Shane, you're out. Nice try. How many have you (laughs) murdered? If you're just tuning in, this is a trivia game about Christmas. How many have you murdered? All right. Um, Well, I think that I should probably go for... um, I'm going to go for more trees because it just Mm -hmm. feels bigger uh, for three tree top-up-up-uppers. Well, Kelsey's going to be upset that she did not pick this question. Because here it is. I've done some research before Uh-oh. this game showy. Shane, what is special about the ornaments on Kelsey's mom's Christmas tree? What is special oh, about the ornaments? Aw, what right. a nice is question. It? Right? There's a memory attached to each of them. They're all homemade. She changes them every five years. Or they're all scented. I thought for sure it was going to be they're all Def Leppard themed because Kelsey's mom loves Def Leppard <laughs> like Kelsey does. I don't know where this came from. I really Rock don't. West Kelowna, Def Leppard. There's a memory attached to each of them. They're all homemade. Change every five years. They're all scented. Well, Kelsey is very um, family oriented and um, I know that she loves her mom dearly. So I would imagine that's good relationship stuff. So it's either going to be homemade or memory. So I'm I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go memory because Kelsey still likes her mom and they seem to get along well. So that means mm-hmm. the memories are good. Therefore, memories on the trees. Oh um, man, are, this feels are like good. a stretch. Okay, a stretch. <laughs> a stretch. Uh, well, according to my research, Shane, that is correct. <laughs> biggest day of the year deserves the biggest tree of the year. Kelsey, why is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, the, just to be clear, the homemade uh, Christmas ornaments that my sister and I would have made her over the years, I think there's probably a really good box somewhere in the garage with those oh, because yeah. Yeah, absolutely. they Same are not here. pretty enough to be on the Christmas tree. My oh. mom has probably upwards of 50 ornaments that she puts on the tree and every single ornament has a memory from a year. She likes to buy at least one every year that represents a big thing that happened. Um oh, and if you say, oh, my gosh, that's a really beautiful whatever Mickey Mouse on there. Let me tell you about our trip to Disneyland. Sit on mm, down. And then nice. you have to sit there and listen to the story of every other ornament on that tree. That's cool. You know what mine would be then if that's the case? Be like, that's a really pretty red ball on your tree. I mean, let me both tell you about the time I went to the Sears and bought it on discount because they were closing. <laughs> And then that's the story of the tree. Yours is mm-hmm. better. I think what is, is cool about this story. one is it's instead of, you know, people buy um, magnets for their fridge or um, shot glasses everywhere they go or a postcard. 
Um, my mom doesn't buy it everywhere she goes, but if she's going on a really meaningful trip or something really big happens in our family, a new baby or whatever it may be, that she will add one beautiful, very, very thoughtful ornament every year. So it's cool. It's cool. It, everyone is very thoughtfully placed and she like sits there and remembers and tears up and <laughs> she decorates the tree. It's quite an event. Was that just like a some sort of like Easter egg there? Is there is there a new ornament for a new baby on the tree that we should talk about? I don't think so. There oh. just has been babies in the past in my family. Oh, that's all. Damn it! Mm-hmm. It's usually for sure. Wait, who proposed to me a couple of weeks ago? Well, somebody, what do you mean? somebody on the text line proposed. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we're right. very happy, and we're expecting our first child <laughs> this Christmas. That was quick, eh? You turned that around. Yeah. Well Thanks, somebody, father, somebody. Very good. It was a very meaningful line. proposal. Thank you again, guy. It was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you there? Um, okay. How would I keep uh, keep after it? Yeah, you're up. I'm, I'm going to. Look at three tree toppers uh, for decorations, please, Bob. Okay, well, here comes the research uh, again. Kelsey, what is Shane's dad's authoritarian rule? That's the word that he used to describe it for putting tinsel on the Christmas tree. Is it do not put any tinsel on the Christmas tree? Put the tinsel on first. It only goes on a fresh tree or one strand at a time. Oh, man. I Is there anyone who really gets excited about tinsel? I've never, I'm, I've never, never used it in my life. And I'm so Christian, What did you thankful. just say? My dad. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, that was a good tip. So it's not, do not put up any tinsel. He likes the tinsel. Authoritarian. Oh, I'm going to put that on first. Well, you've already made it clear that you only have live Christmas trees, so that is not tinsel related. <clears throat> I never do. My dad may. Ooh. Oh, yeah, no, I know you said he only had fresh trees, real Christmas trees, right? No, Growing no. up? No, 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 no. I haven't had one since we were a kid, but no, not always. Oh man, okay, it's getting muddy. So it it's be. getting muddy. I'm I'm tough. gonna go with if it's a, a it has to go on first. You have to put it on first. That is incorrect. It is not the rule. I am no tree. I am no tinsel in this case. Um I get is to it fair to, to let Shane answer this? I didn't I think, think about it's that. Fair. I'll even give you that. I don't think it's fair. Uh do you want me to tell the story? Tell the story. Yeah, you had to listen to my ornament story. Yeah, that's that's the deal. So uh, my dad, uh, back in the day when we did put tinsel on a tree, and this was more when we lived in Port Alberni when I was a kid, was he, so you know, when you're a kid, you're the tinsel, it's it's the end of the tree, you're tired of it, you don't want to do this anymore, you're tapping out. And my dad would always put the tinsel on last, and it would be one strand at a time. And of course, as a kid, you're grabbing a handful, and you're like throwing it at the tree. Oh, yeah. Um, and he would, he, he hated that and drove him nuts. And it was just one strand at a time. It's a joke in our family, even every Christmas about, Hey, remember dad getting mad at us for trying to put on two strands of tinsel at a time? <laughs> he wanted it to be ice, icically perfect. If that's a word. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, word. no, that's for sure. Yeah. Big that story. sounds really, really legit. Icically perfect. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. One strand at a time. 
one strand at a time. So we got no winners on that one, no points. So we are still actually tied right now. And Shane, it's your go. More trees. Two treetoppers, please. More trees. Oh, well, we're going to need a few more texts because it's the text line special. Hey, Griswold, where do you think you're going to put a tree that big? Bend over and I'll show you. <laughs> I wish you could see how big every time. Shane smiles whenever I, I play anything from that movie. It's I like a be all end all. You know how like happy. people will put on like videos to stimulate their children with like iPads to get yep. them to calm down. I'm gonna do that with Christmas vacation clips for Shane. That's my version. So good for him. That's my yeah. ASMR. That's your ASMR. It is. So eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Here is your question, Shifthead. So Shane, you cannot answer this question, Nuts. even if you know what the answer. Here it is. What is another name for an ugly Christmas tree? The options were a Charlie Brown tree, Bruce the Spruce, Tree Beard, and a Pokey Pine. Now all of those are real names for Christmas trees that I found online. However, um. <laughs> There's a bit of a trend here with the text line special. Jim in Winnipeg calling the church lady, Trucker Dan, Aaron, Carol, Bill, Stephen North Van. You guys all got it. It's mm-hmm. the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Correct. Biggest day of the year deserves the biggest tree of the year. Now, I have a family member that does a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Every year they have to find the most barren, ugly tree they can find. And then they put just an absurd amount of ornaments on it every year. It's it's kind of a it's a wholesome tradition. I love it. Mm-hmm. I actually have a Charlie Brown tree. Like I bought the branded one that has it's like the little tree with the one little ball. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Love it. Yay! Good stuff. Shift heads. Hooray. Now, hey, Kelsey, I do oh, have, yeah. I do have a question about that because that was mm-hmm. my parents' thing too. We we seem to be talking a lot about real trees in our childhood. Has that mm-hmm. changed? Is that you know, as we think about seven years to grow a tree that we put up for maybe, you know, 20 days for, mm-hmm. you know, the majority of us, it's probably a good average of how long people leave their Christmas trees up and enjoy them. Is that a thing of the past? I don't think it's a thing the of Charlie the past for tree? many people. I think some people like it. But I don't know. I just, to me, it's, it seems like quite a sacrifice, especially, I mean, I realize trees are made of plastic and metal, but if they last you 10 years, that just, I don't know. I don't think it's a thing of the past. But I think that it's less common. I do I think the financial, yes, like when, when pros and cons of it too. Like yes, I think and probably environmentally, as long as you're holding on to your plastic Christmas tree for years and years to come, seventy five dollars. You know, I think is probably the price of a nicer yeah. real Christmas tree, and you can spend seventy five dollars on a fake Christmas tree, and it's going to last you your entire life and maybe your children's lifetime as well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, I think, you know, it's one of those things where it, it seems backwards to the narrative, right, of environmentalism. I think the, let the trees do the environmental work. I, that's, I don't know. That seems weird to me, but it's Christmas. Love. Yay. Christmas trees. I was Yay. Say, but traditions are beautiful things. Yeah, it's true. And you're bringing uh, oxygen into your home. Great. Yes. We all and, need and more lots of that. needles to vacuum. Um, you got to go though, because we're going to run out of time. Okay. I'm going to go for decorations. Even though that did not serve me well. I don't know why I chose that, but I'm in it now. Two tree mm-hmm. toppers. Here we go. Cool. Here you go. Which of these decorations, Kelsey, is an actual tree decoration that goes up on my Christmas tree every single year? Is it a rather large Lego Han Solo? 
fresh oranges <laughs> only on Christmas Day, a toilet ornament, or a fighter jet. Oof. Do you do you have any autonomy over the family Christmas tree? Uh Every year, I am gifted you. a new ornament, and every year, that ornament goes on the tree. And I will just say, it's getting pretty unhinged as of late. Don't talk to the competitors. <laughs> She's trying to trick you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think if you had any say in it, there's probably a giant Lego Han Solo. But I can like if you were in my family household, that Han Solo would look real good in in the shop. <laughs> That's <laughs> where my mom would with, leave it with yeah. the homemade stuff in the shop. Yes. Yeah, but I'm going to go with Han Solo. Han Solo? I've got a good feeling about this. That's correct. Yes. Biggest tree of the year. There's All right, well, we got five Star Wars here. ornaments on my tree. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, we're going to make a quick and easy one here. I think that we should do... Um, one tree topper, go easy, more trees. More trees is done more, well. More trees. Kate, which province produces the most Christmas trees every year in Canada? Ontario, the Northwest Territories, British Columbia, or Quebec? Oh, I would have to go with BC because it's very green. BC? Mm -hmm. Not even close. <clears throat> no tree. Nope, it's not BC. Wow. Kelsey? That felt hard. You got a guess? Uh, uh, Ontario. Nope. It's not Ontario. No <laughs> it's Quebec. Oh it's boy. Quebec. Yeah, the Quebec makes the most. Now, Quebec, Nova Scotia, and Ontario make up 80% of our entire Christmas tree market, but Quebec comes out in front. Well, we're tied, and we're out of time. So we yep. might have to tie this. We might have, I think this is the first time ever, isn't it? Oh, we totally have a tie. Okay, well, next next game show is going to be interesting because we're going to break points. the tie. Double, Double points. points. Okay. I think it's tricky because you could have stolen in one by three, right? On your yeah, family Christmas that tree. Was, that's yeah. not fair. Even though it's Christmas. It's the gift of giving. I can't do that. Thank you for giving me this tie. I think that's the most popular gift to give fathers on Christmas, Father's Day, any holiday really. A tie. <laughs> There's nobody winning on Christmas <laughs> on the shift. Yes. Thanks for being here, Kelsey. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Can we share Merry Christmas, Christmas tree pictures, by the way? Uh, should we do that at shiftheads.c on the Facebook group? I think we should. Let's oh, start the thread. that would be lovely. We'll do Don't that. post All the right. one I sent you. Mine is incomplete. I have to find my ornaments. <laughs> okay, yes. Once you find your ornaments, Kelsey will post her tree, too. Uh, thanks so much for listening to The Shift. Kelsey Campbell, Ryan O'Donnell, Shane Hugh. We'll be right back. This is The Shift Podcast. Christmas is a pretty magical time for most people. It's not for everybody. But we do start to get excited, I think, generally as a society, pretty soon here. It doesn't really kick in sometimes till the second week of December. But there's always something magical about, you know, taking some time to yourself, taking a break, maybe spending time with family, maybe with friends, maybe giving gifts, or just having quiet time away from work or whatever it looks like for you. Now, for me, I do like to get ready early, not as early as Costco, clearly, because they get ready in like August. But Christmas trees are sort of like the, okay, I'm listening, or the, okay, Christmas, I'm willing to take this on moment. This coming weekend is the weekend that most people start to set up their Christmas tree. 
So that's why we wanted to chat about it. We're not all in on Christmas yet. Don't get me wrong. But Christmas trees really have an amazing history. And we wanted to ask, what is your special Christmas tree secret? Um, Kelsey's mom, a party game show. If you missed it, you catch it on the podcast. Her tree always has some meaning. Every single ornament has a story behind it. That's on that tree. On my tree, I have a series of photos of my kids from every year when they were young. So my kids love it and hate it. It's a tiny little picture frame, little photo of the kids. So sometimes, and the other, like the balls don't care. This is like, let's go with red this year. So it's red and gold. And everybody has that one little thing that they like to put on the tree. Ryan has some Star Wars Lego guys. What is yours? 877-399-9898. The history of the Christmas tree is quite amazing. And with some research a few years ago, I, I learned sort of the origin of the modern tree anyway. And it's still even speculation, but it's about five or 600 years ago. It's neat because Christmas trees don't come from, at least not where I would have assumed, Estonia, Germany, Latvia, stuff like that. Right? So that's the history of trees. 16th century is the first recorded lighted Christmas tree. Bad idea, though, candles. <laughs> An evergreen tree. That one, that one didn't pan out, but they, people did it for a long time. And it was sort of into Europe after that, 1600s, 1700s. But really, the first reported Christmas tree in a private home, France... Uh, which back then was part of Germany, um, 1576. What's special about your tree? 877-399-9898. Want to hear your story. Okay. John O'Chung is in Vancouver. Uh, John O, you've got your family. And uh, I know you're sorry. I just grabbed him right when he was on the phone. There he is. Sorry about that, buddy. Bad timing on my part. Um, the Your family, you guys do the tree as well real or fake so we have a, a fake tree so okay. we don't we don't have a real tree uh because we don't want to be spending money every year getting a real tree but we do have a artificial tree uh we just replaced it in 2018 because our old one we that we had since 2004 it mm -hmm. had uh an issue with the lights some of the lights right. died and we, we put art, like uh, artificial lights around it, but it, it just didn't work. So right. we went to Canadian Tire, bought a really uh, cheap tree that was on sale. It was $80, and we got it at Canadian Tire, and the tree has LED lights, and it works pretty well. So Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's great. That's a great point. It's beautiful. Um, Tini says, you know, artificial trees are more expensive than $75, which we said during game showy. I've seen some price near 1000 I have two. Uh, the technology that goes behind them, how bushy they are, all that stuff. Um, Tina says she bought a great one from Goodwill last year for 65 bucks. I mean, I think mine was 100 bucks, but it's just a tree. I have to put my own lights on. It's not like pre-wired or anything fancy. So what's special about your tree? 877-399-9898. My Christmas tree secret, question mark, from Trucker Dan. My Boston Terrier can jump eight feet vertical with no effort. I don't dare put up a tree. <laughs> LOL. That being said, um, Harlow the Great Dane, when she wags her tail, it's a bit of a whip. And every now and then you have to duck because if she goes by the tree and she's happy, sometimes the ball's coming at your head. Just saying. What's special about your tree? Malcolm is in Vancouver. Hey, Malcolm. 
I used to be with the Lions and selling Christmas trees, and the most heartwarming story I've got to tell you is a, a gentleman was trying to get home for Christmas. He was in Johannesburg, South Africa. He flew 28, 27 to 28 hours, missing a flight or two, to get home. He comes down with his kids. They're in shambles because there's going to be no Christmas tree. We had one left. Okay. It was December 24th. I refused to leave the lot until we got rid of every tree. That was, I think, that year we sold 955 trees. Wow. It, was, it wasn't the best tree because it, it was, <laughs> we called it a childproof tree. It's a Norwegian spruce, and it really, it really <laughs> have, it's almost like a porcupine in their, ah. their nettles. Uh, the best trees, if anyone's really interested, are the subalpine firs, the Fraser, and the Norban, and the, uh, the what is it, the noble fir. They last the longest. And a real tree, the nice thing about it is when you rub it, you get that scent. You get that, that warm scent. So, mm-hmm. And one last thing is remember, everybody out there, you're always a kid at Christmas time. And to prove it, listen to Nat King Cole's Christmas song from kids from 1 to 92. Mm-hmm. And this I guy said, that. well, when can I be old? I said, 92, six months and one, one day. Because then you're <laughs> on the downhill slide to 93. That's it. I love it. That was it. You love it, hey? Yeah, Malcolm, I can uh, hear the pat. Like, you, you, this, you cherish this. I, it's, it's, it's the one, it was, I mean, we sold thousands of trees and I enjoyed the thousands of trees and I smelled like when I, I mean, even when I went through, uh, North Vancouver, they had the, um, you know, the, 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 the RCP were out and the guy got to know me and said, uh, you must've sold a lot of trees today. So how do you know? He said, you smell it. Ah, I love it. I used so, to have a really yeah, great it, pine candle. That was my secret. Um, but yeah. I, they're hard to find. Uh, Malcolm, thanks for this. Appreciate it, bud. Okay. Great. Bye. Malcolm's in Vancouver, a story of a man who flew and raced from South Africa to get home so he could get a Christmas tree, got the last one on the lot. And that would be hard, right? Close the lot, someone shows up, no tree. Um, Glennie in the schwa says, says this, it's a little game of hide the pickle. <laughs> Every year we have a little glass Christmas pickle ornament, and it gets hidden on the tree. And on Christmas morning, whoever finds the Christmas pickle gets to get a $25 Tim Hortons gift card and a Cineplex card. Um, I did not have play hide the pickle on Christmas morning as part of my Christmas tree uh, bingo card today. So that is a, that's a surprise there, Glennie. Thank you for telling us your, the question was what makes your Christmas tree special? Glennie's response was hide the pickle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A giant white spruce has served as a Stiawaki, Nova Scotia family's outdoor Christmas tree for decades, has been chosen as this year's tree for Boston. The tree for Boston is the province's annual thank you to the Massachusetts city for sending medical personnel supplies to Nova Scotia within hours of the Halifax explosion in 1917. That explosion devastated North End Halifax, killing nearly 2,000 people and leaving thousands more injured and homeless. Every tree that's given to Boston is carefully selected. Must be between 40 and 50 feet tall with good color and medium to heavy density. It also must be symmetrical and easy to access. Global's Eilish Bonang connects with the Stiwaki native Betty Gourley, whose 45-foot white spruce was chosen to be taken as this year's tree headed for Boston. We are very excited. It, it's an honor. There's no question about that. It's an honor to, to have our tree go and 
we wish the tree and everybody well. <laughs> Amazing. Now you've actually, you've known for quite some time that you were going to be the family picked. It was going to be the tree that was picked. And, and you've been working on this tree to make it this beautiful for, for a few years now. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, they, they came in 218 to first say they were interested. The tree had to be uh, five feet higher than it was. So they came back for the last five years. And in September, they gave us the news that it was going to be our tree this year. Amazing. And so like I kind of said in my intro there, this has been in the family. This actually was originally growing on your parents' property. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. We brought it to our backhoe and brought it down and it was about five feet tall. And uh, we pruned it and decorated, you know, through the years until I couldn't. My husband was six foot two, so he pruned it until he couldn't reach it anymore. My son is six, six. And the last year we decorated and pruned it, he was, my husband had him in the bucket of the four-wheel drive up as far as it would go with a 10-foot pole putting on lights. And that was the last, we couldn't reach it after that. Oh my goodness. Wow. Been a family affair all these years. I love it. And that's a tall family too. And good, good on you for being that tall to get it done. Um, we want to know, because some of those photos that we just showed, they look a little scary when you look at them. That tree, it went from being okay. absolutely gorgeous, so nice and full, but then tell me a little bit about uh, what maybe the shock was when they were getting it prepped and, and making sure that it was safe for travel. <laughs> um, <clears throat> there were three people, two, two men and a woman, woman, and it took two full days, and they just scurried up that tree, no, no ladders. They just climbed up the trunk and stepped on the, the uh, branches tied every little branch together. Finally, there was a gentleman on the on the ground and a man in the tree and they were, he was holding the branch and, and they were ratcheting it from the ground. It was a huge job and it looks awful. I know it has to be done, but it looks like they cut all those bottom branches off, but they didn't. When they undo it, it'll come down and be right to the ground again. Oh my goodness. When, when we first talked about it on the phone, I was like, it can't look that bad. And then I saw those photos. And I was like, nope, I understand why she was concerned. But like you say, it's going to be beautiful again once it's all down and, and set free in Boston, of course. Okay. What were Wednesday? I'm going to be there on your front lawn, uh, emceeing, of course, the, uh, the tree cutting ceremony. What do you hope comes from that day with everybody there? We're expecting quite the crowd. There is supposed to be a large crowd. Um, I just hope that nobody's disappointed. Uh, I hope they appreciate the, the significance of, the, of a tree coming from Stuyak. We're only a little town in the center of Nova Scotia. First time the trees come from this area. And I live in a wonderful town. And, and I hope all the people enjoy it. Oh, and it's a beautiful spot. Very familiar with the Stuyak area. So what's going to happen now? For you guys to have an outdoor Christmas tree, do you have plans to uh, to plant something else in, in the hole that we're going to see on your front lawn there? Well, I planted that tree um, about 40 years ago, so I'm not going to see another tree that size, that's for sure. But we'll do something. We, we, I decorate. I decorate every year. Yeah, I love Christmas. Nice. Oh, that's so sweet. So I'd imagine then this, you, you kind of touched on it already, but this means a lot to you and your family, hey? It does. It does. You know, there's only one a year and, and to have it see that one right there, that's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful tree. I hope Boston loves it. Uh, that's a story of the Christmas tree that's leaving Nova Scotia and Global's Eilish Bonang, um, Stiawaki uh, native Betty Gourley, who 
uh, her 45-foot tree got picked, and off it goes, like getting drafted, if you will. Now, the city of Boston is scheduled to hold its tree lighting ceremony on the 30th, and that tree has already been cut. It's already on its way, and it uh, there was a bunch of people that did show up at that to celebrate the tree going, but it must be a little bit heartbreaking. I mean, do you get a free trip to Boston to see your tree? I mean, 40 years ago, they planted that tree, and off it goes. I don't know. I Beautiful and important the symbolism is quite amazing right but i don't know i feel like it's kind of sad for betty you know sad christmas sad betty (laughs) oh well 877-399-9898 what is special about your tree uh it's not christmas tinsel it's not christmas without tinsel and it's not fun until you get the family cat involved spreading that silver stuff everywhere uh, text from Southern Alberta. Mm-hmm. Glenny defends his Christmas pickle. He says our family heritage may be the Netherlands, but the pickle is a German tradition. We adopted it. It's something the whole family fights over. Uh, they play hide the pickle. I like the Festivus tree from Southern Ontario. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know who this is from uh, immediately. I would go buy a new ornament every year for my children. Then when I moved to Alberta, we would go to Banff to the Christmas store every year for a weekend, get a Christmas ornament. Now that I live in Edmonton, we kind of buy them wherever we find them. But every year there's a new one. So there's no room for normal decorations anymore. When I go to decorate the tree, we open each ornament box. We talk about where we got it, when we got it, whose ornament is this. It's really fun. I like that idea. I will be in Banff this weekend, and part of my agenda is the Christmas store. Now, I also like to go to the Christmas store in the middle of the summer. I think it's a great time to go. If you've never been, there was one in Victoria before. There was one in Niagara-on-the-Lake. I don't know if those ones are still there. But all year round, they sell Christmas stuff, and it's an unbelievable, beautiful thing. Working there must be tough because the Christmas music does play a lot. So... 877-399-9898. What is uh, special about your tree? Call it in or text it in. Another story for you from the East Coast, Woody the Talking Christmas Tree. It's an internationally renowned talking Christmas tree, and it's made its annual return to major Nova Scotia Mall. I don't know how to count. I'm a tree. (laughs) Just in time for the holidays, Woody the Talking Christmas Tree is back. He so jolly and happy and so excited. The iconic talking tree has become a holiday staple inside Dartmouth, Nova Scotia's Micmac Mall. It made a comeback in 2021 after a 15-year hiatus. On Saturday, Woody greeted children with smiles and jokes, all while keeping track of the items on everyone's wish list. I'm going to ask him for a remote control um, spider that looks realistic. A full wheeler. A Starbucks cup. I want a pinata for Christmas. And I want a big time Spidey costume. Woody's high-pitched voice and robotic face has always seemed to be cute to some and creepy to others. Why does he have to wear a top hat over a Christmas hat? But Woody has grew to fame in recent years, catching the eye of people around the world, even making an appearance on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon in 2022. But no one seems to enjoy Woody more than the little ones. He's a great Christmas tree. Woody will be at the mall until December 23rd this year. Vanessa Wright, Global News, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. 
877-399-9898 in Hamilton. We have Susan. Hey, Susan. Hi. Hi. I'm, I'm doing laundry tonight, and I'm listening to your show, and I'm recalling so many Christmases, and we always had two real trees in our house. But one Christmas, I remember my sister at 19 passed away that particular year in July, and we really didn't think we could have a Christmas or a Christmas tree. So my mom decided to put a few boughs in a vase, and after a couple of nights, we all decided that this just can't be so. So my father, on the 20 fourth of December went out and bought a Christmas tree. The gentleman actually gave it to him for less than half price and we decorated it and we realized that the tree gives us peace and joy and remembrance and really it brings a warmth to the house and I just wanted to let you know that if people are missing um, their particular loved ones at that time and don't feel that they can decorate it sometimes is beautiful to bring a tree in and do something simple but it will bring a warmth and a peace to your heart i really believe that oh it's beautiful susan thank you i've recently been at least become more aware to the the notion of the gathering place it was a story that i shared a couple of days ago here on the shift just being outside putting up christmas lights and people started to gather and and to me that's what the christmas tree becomes right it becomes that gathering place for people um, even strangers will, will tend to gather at a place like that. So I find it quite magical. I do believe it. It's magical. It has a warmth and a spirit to it. And, you know, there were nights where I would lay awake in bed thinking, what is my theme going to be this year? Is it going to be plaid and brown? Is it going to be copper and silver? Is it going to be red and purple? You know, I mean, every year I would have a bowering type tree and my sister would have, we call it the junk tree, which isn't very nice. But what that was is all our old family decorations, all the very old precious decorations antiques and such so we would have two real trees in the house and dad would scream down every morning are the trees watered who's watering the trees i love it (laughs) so it's a magical time no matter if your heart is aching the, the colors and the tree does bring some kind of peace and remembrance and i'm so glad you took my call because i'm in hamilton and you're in vancouver i had no idea i was calling so far away you are i'm actually in calgary so on top of that jono's in vancouver who you phoned so just to oh add a little goodness. bit more distance well, on it's on a that. pleasure to t- it's a pleasure to talk to you and thank you for recalling the christmas spirit it's it, it can be painful to a lot of people, but um, it is there. And if we have family and friends, or even just a friend, they'll help us get through it. This is The Shift Podcast. I've heard it said so many times, there's a lot going on in the world right now. I've also recently learned that history is not something that repeats itself. It's something that unfolds every day. We just stop paying attention. And there's a guy that his job is to pay attention to it. I swear to God, there's not a gray hair on his head, and I don't understand if it's hair color or what he does. Jonathan Berkshire Miller uh, joins us here. Um, global politics is, uh, is really what you do. Uh, McDonald Laurier Institute, your director there, and um, that's that's really looking at the globe. Now, you, for your uh, your uh, 
personal history there. We've had you on because your focus was Indo-Pacific. Now you take on the whole globe. And um, yeah, and I'm surprised you're not stressed out like crazy. It's not easy to watch, Jonathan. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, Shane. It's been a, it's been quite a year. I mean, I think with uh, obviously with the war uh, getting into its second year uh, in Ukraine, obviously Russia's unprovoked invasion. And I mean, this is a, a war that's basically been going on for, since 2014. Now, throw on top of that, of course, we have we have tensions and, and conflict in the Middle East. Uh, you know, the the lingering outcome from the pandemic that everyone wants to forget. You know, economic challenges, inflation, et cetera. So, yeah, it's been an unstable time globally. Um, and I think that uh, it's not just people in our profession, but I think people in many professions are still trying to grapple with uh, what this, uh, what the future holds uh, um, for Canada, what the future holds for a lot of our allies. Um, and I, I would frame this as a really uncertain time. Um, the challenge, I think, that is, it feels like you're. You remember that game uh, that we used to play, uh, the whack-a-mole game, right, where you mm-hmm. try to you hit the groundhog every time it pops up. It really feels like that in, in the international scene right now. One time, you, as soon as you're able to sort of contain or manage one problem, uh, contain or manage one economic challenge, security challenge, another one pops up and hits you right in the face. Um, so we're sort of in that in that mindset right now. Well, I think that's a great metaphor to look at what's going on in and around the Middle East and what what we've seen over there, Eastern Europe, is is that whack-a-mole. And to not be too cheesy with the metaphor, uh, because I personally love that game, but not only is it like whack-a-mole, but it is the same game. As much as we have Ukrainian mole pop up and we try to whack that, and then you have Hamas pop up, try to whack that, um, Keep in mind, that's all the same game. And it's kind of something that I think that we're seeing politically right now is that everybody's reaching out for allies. There's all kinds of speculation that Russia's been funding, um, you know, Iran and Iran's been funding Hezbollah and Hamas. And then the Russian ships have been bringing supplies and all of these things that are going on. It's safe to say that while they are distinctly different conflicts, there it's kind of all the same game happening in the background at once and that's the part that we that's the ghosts in the background we don't get to see yeah i mean i think it's some people call it the return of geopolitics i mean i think geopolitics has always been there as you mentioned at the onset i mean history uh, interests uh spheres of influence i mean this has been something that you know dating back to the romans and the mongols i mean this is not something that is a, a 21st century phenomenon I think what's been challenging for a country like Canada, and especially this is true in the the post-World War II era, is that we lived under sort of an illusion that um, some of the challenges uh, overseas were, number one, that they were largely contained and that we could have this large multilateral peace, um, you know, uh, buttressed under U.S. power. Um, but also the fact that uh, many of these hard uh, real politic interests, so states, whether it's Iran's interests in the Middle East, whether it's China's interests in the Indo-Pacific, uh, Russia's interests, uh, uh, both in Eurasia um, uh, and in, in, in the Eastern Bloc of, of, uh, of Europe, uh, they, they, these have sort of gone away or that we could mollify these interests easy, easily. We're realizing now with a real slap in the face that these countries are, are more willing to take these risks. Um, there are a number of reasons for that. Um, I think that the international institutions that we used to have trust in uh, clearly are not living up to their uh, standard. And I think the second one is that uh, while I'm, I'm not a, a declinist on U.S. power, I think there's a perception anyways that U.S. power 
is not going to be there to save the day at the end of the uh, at the end of the day. So that that allows risk taking for for many of these states, as you mentioned. And it's it's not just on one front. It's uh, you know even to go a little bit more granular outside of the you know the the larger powers. Uh, think of for example Azerbaijan and Armenia in the Caucasus. Um, would they have taken these risks uh, five or ten years ago or twenty years ago? Probably not. Uh, but with the disintegration of of some of these institutions, you see countries uh, willing to sort of take the risks and say, I'm going to get mine. Mm. Well, interesting. And I'm going to get mine. I mean, you can just follow that path back to Russia anyway and say something as simple as this. And this is just an observation. Why wouldn't Russia try to distract the world from what they're up to? I mean, that statement in itself is quite pragmatic and powerful when you go, oh yeah, that could be a thing. And and those are the sort of things that we're starting to see that happen in this this um, do-si-do that is war and people's lives and the way it affects people and, and then trying to track it must create some discourse between uh, the academics that go to these think tanks and talk about it. Oh no, it's not about that, it's about this. I mean, it, does it get contentious? I think it does get contentious, and I mean, I, I you know, I, I use the analogy to you know eating a bucket of popcorn while watching the other events happening, you know, globally. I mean, you see, how is Russia reacting, for example, to to war in the Middle East? How is China reacting to war in the Middle East? Of course, they're ha- you know, they're happy that there's a distraction on another front. That um, you know, all of a sudden, not all, all of the global attention is on the rise of China or or Russia is unprovoked war. Uh, so the more chaos that they can spread, whether it's in you know cyber disinformation through social media, whether it's uh, you know in, in very vivid examples such as the Middle East, I'm not saying they're responsible for that war, but they definitely take advantage uh, of examples like that. Yes, they love that, and they love uh, they share a common um, goal. And uh, you know, while much has been made, for example, of the the links between Russia, China, and Iran, as another example, I think there's a lot of differences there. But I think the one common goal they share is uh, to to erode the credibility of of liberal democracies and their institutions. And they see that one of the um, you know the great things about our societies is they're open societies, and one of the the challenging things about our societies is they're open societies. And that provides vulnerable spots and a soft underbelly uh, for for countries like that to to take advantage. So we're seeing it time and time again. A new conversation too that recently they had on the West Block here in Canada about um, about Iran and Iran. You know they're meddling and 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 actors that are in Canada and doing things. I mean we haven't heard that one yet, but it seems like the is the dance becoming more obvious where these these people are or are they just getting more exposed or are we becoming a society more aware i think there's a combination of all of this i definitely think that i mean the best um well it's not going to remedy everything but one of the best ways to start to treat some of the challenges of, of interference from from foreign actors um is to shed light on it so i think to your point on being more aware i think canadians are gradually being more aware um, we're clearly being more aware on on china uh, there's a, a second foreign interference inquiry happening now uh, iran i think is has been acting um you know in, in malicious ways here in canada for for several years i don't think there's been the attention to it i think that uh, our security and uh, intelligence officials have been aware of this for a long time uh, our partners have been aware that canada has been a weak link uh, when it comes to uh, the, to this space, uh, in particular with Iran and, and also with China, um, uh, but there has been very little action. So I'm hopeful that um, you know, with this greater public attention, I mean, 
seeing a newspaper, for example, uh, this year uh, versus three or four years ago, I mean, no one was talking about foreign interference in Canada, uh, what, what actors were doing inside Canada. And the, the muddiness of this is sometimes it's uh, Canadian permanent residents and citizens who are being taken advantage of um, and others who are who are willfully uh, flaunting our laws. Uh, so it's a very complicated, sensitive issue, but it's one that we need to address. China, um, as you sort of mentioned there, there's been a lot going on in the scope of all of that. Russia, Iran. China's kind of just gone on that spectrum and went, well, if we're just not the furthest one to the left or the right, we kind of look like the good guy. And I think we saw that evidenced with the recent meetings with uh, Xi and Biden and then what was going on at APEC. What did you see there? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a couple things here. I think China is desperately trying to rehab its image. Um, I think they're being very careful on how they do so. And I mean, to show how much the Chinese sort of pre-ordained or pre-orchestrated this, this summit, uh, they had sent their senior officials weeks before, several times for 10-hour meetings a day with American counterparts. And I think the one sort of uh, overarching takeaway is that they could not afford to have Xi Jinping, their, their chairman, uh, come and be embarrassed. So that was their number one sort of bottom line goal is that not anything really positive, not massive breakthroughs, but just don't go there and be embarrassed. They, a nightmare scenario for them would be to have Xi Jinping go to San Francisco where the APEC meetings were held. And all of a sudden he gets um, you know, lectured on on Taiwan, on, um, you know, on their activities in Xinjiang, uh, Kong, et cetera. There's a lot, there's a long list where, uh, where we could uh, call China out. So I think that was their main takeaway. Um, the second one is, I think you're right, they've taken advantage of the opportunity now with, with uh, conflicts in Europe and conflicts in the Middle East to say, hey, even though we know the Americans are, are zeroed in on us, um, maybe this is our time to sort of you know, press for a, a bit of a detente in the relationship. But what I would argue, and I, I hope the Canadian side you know, takes this take home, is that this is very cosmetic in nature. So uh, on the front, you could see, hey, it's, uh, you know, you've even heard some uh, in the press talk about reset. Um, there is no reset. Uh, it's uh, structurally, all of the problems remain the same. You know, if you think of a, a relationship that's dysfunctional, I mean, this is a dysfunctional relationship. It remains a dysfunctional relationship. Um, what they are doing is having some counseling and talking. So basically, there's a, there's a bottom line dialogue happening. But in real terms, nothing has really structurally changed. Hmm. Uh, well, and maybe that's what politics is, is, right? Let's just ease the mind of everybody and make everything look good. I mean, China's economy weighs heavily on everyone else's um, recession fears and inflation of what's going on right now. So, I mean, that's a thing. I kind of imagine, and this is my words, I'm not putting this on you. You can respond as you feel appropriate. I kind of imagine Xi's office being like, all right, the Apex Summit's coming up. We got to talk to Biden because things are really bad. What we don't want to do is pull a Trudeau and yeah, somehow yeah. embarrass ourselves. I, mean, I think that we get to take the title politically, uh, internationally for sure, of of that title. And I, I'm feeling kind of ripped off that maybe China's trying to steal our, I mean, that's kind of our brand, isn't it, these days? Or are it, we getting better yeah. at that as Canadians? No, we're definitely not getting better. I feel like uh, you know each successive trip I make, it doesn't matter where which corner of the world. Uh, and and the interesting thing is, usually 
people enjoy Canada. They like Canadians, and that hasn't changed. Um, but what I find interesting and, and perhaps startling is that very polite people in very diplomatic circles, willing to say things even publicly uh, critical and, and quite openly critical of, of, of Canada's failures on, on a range of foreign policy issues. So that, to me, is a sign. If people are going to say something publicly, what are they saying privately? Mm. Um, uh, and, and I think that we're really in a state of crisis right now on this. I mean, we lecture rather than listen. Um, you know, we often, you know, uh, proclaim rather than implement. So, I mean, we're, whether it's on whether it's on China, whether it's on India, whether it's on um, on many other issues, so we're very challenged right now when it comes to foreign policy. Well, and confused, it seems, because it was a few weeks ago when there was the environmental and uh, the climate conversation and it was leaked out or at least shared somehow publicly that Stephen Gilbo was supposed to use kid gloves with China on that topic, which was supposed to be about accountability and, and all of those things. So yet, while there is that lecture, the all those things, no wonder the world is a little confused about what's going on in Canada, because then you hear this other side of it, be like, well, this conversation is kind of inconvenient, so let's be nice to them. And that also seems weird. There's not a lot of uh, teeth or grit, it seems. Yeah, well, I find it, that's a good point. I mean, I find it ironic that the most sort of reprehensible regimes uh, in the world are, are the ones that we sort of use the quote unquote quick gloves, I guess, as you're saying, you know, even Russia, we still have not uh, persona non grata uh, one of their diplomats, which I find just astounding since uh, February of 2022. So basically persona non grata and kicking them out of the of, of the embassy for, for misdeeds. Uh, yet we are willing to go in the front of parliament during an active investigation where we don't have any evidence uh, criminal evidence at this point in time and, and say the government of India is responsible for killing someone and PNGing one of their diplomats and uh, you know China as well we've seen this risk of it. so I find it interesting that we're willing to lecture democracies uh, in it, Italy as well I mean we've done that to to, to the Italian uh, Prime Minister on LGBT uh, issues um, yet uh, when it comes to um, some of the authoritarian states we'll just sort of you know, dance around uh, issues. The world as we know it seems to be becoming a very much smaller puzzle. It seems to me to be weighing on everybody. When I imagine like you and your academic friends and you go and you get together your colleagues and you guys have these think tanks and you debate things. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? And this is the look that we're hearing from here. I, I, I also, <laughs> I also imagine that you walk in and everyone's like, oh, Sorry, Jonathan, about things that go on in Canada because we seem to get so much wrong these days that there's just some sympathy in general for it. But are these conversations changing? Do you find that the academics are changing in the way that they go about things? Because some people are having their homes directly affected and they're still humans as much as they're professionals. And yet the stress level of this is really the most we've seen in a generation, I would say, probably since 9-11. But this is far more multi a geographical, more stressful, because it, it's there's more going on than there was with the Gulf War. There's more going on in maybe the early 90s, maybe the early 80s, since we've seen so many pieces, um, if you will, on fire at the same time. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a couple things going on. I mean, there's, and, and this really helps our adversaries, but there's the one, one thing going on overseas, obviously, in, in multiple theaters. Um, but I think the bigger issue is what's happening domestically in so many of our societies. I mean, I think you're right, the bargain of globalization, the bargain of of, uh, of the post-Cold War, you could argue going for, even further back, the, the bargain of, of post-World War II. Um, and that dividend is sort of 
fading and eroding for a lot of people. I mean, this wasn't just an American dream. I think this was a liberal democracy dream where many of us, um, you know, really believed that, uh, you know, that these institutions would protect us, um, that some of our security guarantees, including uh, the United States, would be able to uh, to work to protect us. I'm not saying that everything has fallen down, um, but I think domestically there's been disenchantment. Um, the economy hasn't worked out for everyone. Um, you know, it hasn't worked out for a lot of people. Um, and we're seeing, um, you know, some of the challenges of that coming through. And then at the same point, we're seeing authoritarians look at these weaknesses and these divisions in the West and social divisions, and then saying it's our opportunity, it's our time uh, to make a move on some of these areas that we've always had interest in. It has not changed. It's just that we see an opening now um, because we see a sort of a, you know, a, a weakening West. Um, so whether it's real or whether it's perceptions, um, this is what, how states act. Is they state they they act based on on how they feel other states are are willing to potentially intervene to to protect those interests. And I think um, clearly in Russia's case is an example. And I think China's testing this line. They haven't tested it in the way Russia has, but Russia has called that out. They've basically they've they've called it quite clearly by their invasion in Iran and in, uh, in Ukraine um, by by saying that look we don't have faith. Um, that you're willing to protect the interests that you say you are, um, mm. and you know, thus far they're uh, they're doing a good job of testing us. I think we've we've tried to stand up to them, um, but they they are they continue to to press on. Um, so we have to we have to find ways to to really center ourselves that we're not doing favors for for one state like Ukraine, but we're doing favors for ourselves. Well, and and you said since the Cold War earlier, and yet this stalemate of Cold War of nuclear chicken. Uh, we s- seem to be seems to be still occurring now. One of the things that we're seeing, Jonathan, and I don't know how much this comes up inside the academic think tanks, is the cyber war. A lot of people have said that World War Three has been on for a few years now. It's just been happening online with misinformation, disinformation, and all of those pieces. And all you have to do is look at some of the information that's being spread about uh, Israel, Palestine, Hamas, and I create a very clear distinction out of my principle between Hamas and Palestine. Let's just be clear on that. And um, the amount of information that's going on online, misinformation, disinformation, hacking in the cyber world, does that come up as part of the equation when you guys debate and try to look at what's truly going on around the world? I think it's a huge part of it. And not only is it a big part of the, you know, the sort of hybrid warfare now. So, I mean, warfare is not always, you know, ships on ships, planes on planes, missiles on missiles. I mean, now we're seeing in narratives, information, misuse of information, um, deep fakes, uh, you know, disinformation is a, is a big part of it. Um, I think the challenge also is going to be, where is this going? Um, you know, what's the future of this? Uh, I heard a very shocking statistic in one of my recent trips uh, to Europe that, uh, for example, when we think of cyber security, often we think about uh, disinformation, but ransomware, basically stealing things online, has become such a big uh, thing. The statistic that they were giving me was that uh, in the past year, there was $8 trillion US, US dollars um, literally stolen from private and state actors. Um, and the investment uh, to try to mitigate that was somewhere in the you know, 50 to 100 billion. So you think, I mean, not even close uh, to the level of investing to protect versus what's stolen. Um, and then who knows how that might multiply. So, I mean, the the pure organized crime and, and criminality of the of um, you know, the internet and cyberspace uh, is, is a completely, this sky's the limit. Um, and what that does to our society, what that does to our institutions, I think is also something we should be paying a lot of attention to. 
when we look at the old days of counterfeit, right? Uh, the purse, the fancy purse companies would get a factory in China to make their purses and they would have to try to restrict it. So they couldn't peel apart a purse and make their own version of it or sell counterfeits out the back door. It's not like that today. All it takes is a, a little time and a little creative hacking to get into someone's or some social engineering to get into someone's computer who's a designer for one of these companies. And by the way, the factory's releasing it before the company does. I mean, this is the kind of, I mean, you want to talk about economic warfare. You want to talk about pressure on economies. You want to talk about influencing voters. I mean, that to me seems like the, you know, the silver stake, if you will. Yeah, and when you think about what industries propel economies, I mean, if we're not able to get this uh, under wraps and, and and get a handle on this, I mean, I'll, get, I'll point out a country like North Korea. I mean, we may chuckle and laugh at them sometimes and say, geez, that's a bizarre regime. Uh, but they're one of the biggest uh, um, proponents of, of ransomware and basically they've set up an organized crime racket to basically steal money online. Um, if this is able to succeed, I mean, that that money gets funneled back into military programs and into uh, the state apparatus. So you can imagine other states that, that are successful in this business model. I mean, this could be your new tech industry. I mean, this could be your new illegitimate, uh, but still it's, it's ways to, to, to fund uh, your interests and your goals. So I think that we sort of, you know, deprecate or, you know, laugh at these issues um, at a risk. I think that there's serious money involved here. Tracing it has become very, very difficult for us with, with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and other uh, forms. It's a bit of a cat and mouse game with the intelligence community where they're trying to, um, you know, decrypt and find uh, find pathways where this money is track the money. But it's it's very, very hard. It's not like, you know, financial institutions that we're, we're used to dealing with. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And it's all tangled up. It's not that simple. And when you look at, you know, TikTok being able to influence people's opinions about geopolitics in a day, that also raises so many questions about so much more about what's going on digitally and all this and the tools that are at the disposal of good guys, bad guys. And to your point about ransomware, I mean, there are businesses that get hijacked on a Friday and they go to contact the bad guy who's done the ransomware and the response they get back is we're closed until Monday. It's so organized as a business. They're like, we open Monday at nine. We'll accept your payment then because they're yeah. not, you know, it's, it's an actual business. So that, that in itself, I think is evidence of, of uh, how we just, that those rose colored glasses that we sit in thinking that this is not how the world is actually operating because we can go down to our, our Jugo juice and, our Starbucks anytime we want and um, have access to gasoline, electricity, and all the things that we want all the time, that these things don't go on in the world. Um, Staying positive must be difficult um, when you go and you go into these forums, you hear what's going on, you know, with your, you academic friends and, you know, Balkan and some of the other people in your office that we get to talk to here. Do you guys actively sit down as a group and go, okay, let's talk about what's going well in our country, just so you can keep some of that positive head as part of this equation? I think absolutely. So, I mean, of course, we you can be a pessimistic bunch when you when you surround yourself with these issues. But I think, yeah, I mean, the reason that you sort of go into this field, or at least that's how you how you start it, start off. And I think that you, you hope that that stays with you is for a greater purpose of hey, why are we doing this? What are we trying to? Do? Why are we trying to defend? So, as I always say, as a state, and I mean, it's true. I think with a lot of institutions as well, you should start out with your your baseline is okay. Define what 
what your interests are. What are you? Why are you in this role? Uh, what are you trying to to uh, to pursue? Um, and hopefully, those come from a some altruistic nature or some sort of positive sort of background. Um, and then you look at the the obstacles uh, in, in the way. So I think, of course, in our field, we see a lot of obstacles. Um, but the reason that we keep on slogging through and, and you know, silver linings, I see a lot of positivity, for example. Um, you know, I was in Japan last week and the fact that, for example, we now have uh, Asian partners like Japan and South Korea now talking about uh, issues in Europe. Uh, before, you know, even 10 years ago, they'd be like, well, you know, we, we like the Europeans, but European security is European security and, you know, Asian security is Asian security. But the fact that I actually think these it's been a wake up call, not just the war in Ukraine, but the disintegration more more broadly and even getting into cyber issues we just talked about states are realizing hey we can't do this alone um if we go into this sort of castle walled mentality of you know i'm going to figure everything out myself uh, we're going to fail so on the positive side even though there's all these challenges i do think that this discussion and this dialogue uh, that we have on our, our level and you know i'm hoping the government um you know is is, is doing a good job in this as well is is necessary and it does give you some some feelings that there are uh, actors there is good in the world uh, there are those who who share uh, you know values and interests with us um but we just have to be very determined on that and we can't we can't lose sight of of what the main goal is uh and be caught up with other distractions because i think it's so easy in our societies to, to lose sight of that um and and, and get hit off course Distraction, such a big word and so incredibly important and active in all of this. I think it's safe to say. I mean, I would love to do a bit here, a segment on the show that is everything that we're not talking about anymore, right? Just to go, by the way, this is happening, right? The biggest conflict in the world, as people understand it right now, is what's going on in Gaza. But by the way, here's what's happening elsewhere, right? And say, these are the things that we're not talking about. And some of those things are as simple as plastic straws, right? And yet, you know, um, the timing isn't always coincidental. So these are the kinds of things that I, I metaphorically say, turn around, see what's going on behind you. Part of the magic, I'm sure, in the, in the world of, you know, look over here of what you goes on in politics, as you guys observe. Well, I think you're right. And I mean, I'm looking forward to kind of coming back on again to sort of talk about some of these things for the, you know, for the upcoming year, because I, I do think, you know, I often say expect the unexpected. I mean, we should be used to this. I mean, no one expected 2020 for our year to be dominated and 2021 with a, you know, an international pandemic. Um, even though the signs were there, uh, you could argue the signs, a lot of scientists would say, yes, we knew this was coming. It was a matter of when. Um, you know, the, the reinvasion of Ukraine in 2022, again, not shocking for those who have been following this issue, but we weren't expecting this as an international community uh, in 2022. And you could say the same about war in the Middle East in 2023. So I think it's, it, it's not that something just completely comes out of the blue. I mean, there are issues like that. Maybe aliens will come and land on Earth and we'll mm -hmm. all be surprised. Um, but I do yeah. think 2024 will have issues that we could, in the realm of prediction, uh, that we, if we really thought hard, uh, we could realize that these are challenges that we've probably been sleeping on. Um, so I'm happy to come back on and, and at least try to tease out a few of those. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And let's do that. So I, I, I can't help but go back to that quote I was given, which is, which was from a historian at the Canadian War Museum, by the way, was that, you know, I've learned that war or that history does not repeat itself. History is happening always. And yeah. sometimes it never changed. We just looked away. And that's an important part of this. Jonathan Berkshire Miller is with uh, is director of McDonald Laurier Institute 
And uh, we do look forward to that. So let's recap 2023, look forward into 2024 from this global perspective. I think that's a great idea. Uh, thanks for being here, brother. Oh, thank you. It's always fun. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 